everyone. Welcome to the Head Shepherd Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Ferguson. The Head Shepherd Podcast is brought to you by NextGen Agri. At NextGen Agri, we're focused on livestock and genetics and technology, those three subjects, and that's what we'll cover here at Head Shepherd. They're the three things that we love talking about, the three things we love learning about, and the three things that we work with our clients on. So you can expect to hear from both myself and the team here at NextGen Agri, as well as our leading experts in the work across those three aspects of livestock production. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Head Shepherd Podcast. This is our first uh, ever podcast at Head Shepherd and fantastic to be getting this project underway. Just a bit about NextGen Agri before we get into the subject matter for today and, and why we've elected to, to start doing a podcast. As a company, we do a lot of on-farm consulting. We do a lot of innovation projects for, for industry organizations and we also run an online training component of, of Next Gen Agri, and we see that as a, as a big opportunity going forward. We understand that farmers are busy. We understand that they're often isolated. And while they'd love to get new information and love to interact with other farmers, it's not always possible to get away to field days, to get away to workshops, or to participate in, in to group activities like they would like to. We see it as a fantastic opportunity to use, use the power of the internet, use the, the tools that we now have available to... Uh, connect with our farmers across across New Zealand and Australia and, and more broadly than that as we start to expand into other sheep growing areas and, and livestock areas. So along with that online training, uh, some of the feedback we've been getting is that many of the videos that we've been presenting or some of the material we've been presenting is being just listened to while farmers are going about their, their daily tasks. One of the realities about farming is that you're often on your own and spending time either mustering sheep or on a tractor or doing doing jobs where where often you're either on your own or in in small teams and that provides the opportunity to listen to listen to information so we've started up the head shepherd podcast to to provide some information uh, while people are out there on the farm because we understand that when people come back inside they often probably don't want to go straight to the computer and start to watch a video they'd rather just get on with interacting with the families so we're hoping to provide information once a week uh, in this format so today I was going to talk about a subject that I've called heritability of hope. So from that you can tell that I'm going to be talking about, about genetics, hopefully. And I'm also going to be talking about hope. It stems from the great quote that hope is not a course of action, that hope doesn't actually achieve anything. So without plans, hopes and dreams don't actually become anything. And without doing something differently, hope is all that hope can be. We're going to talk a lot about 10 years. 10 years is a really important time frame when we are when we're having a genetics discussion, the average generation interval of a sheep enterprise is about three and a half years per generation. Therefore, it takes roughly 10 years to get three generations to tick over. And it takes three generations for any change you make in your genetic program to have its full impact. Yes, you'll get impacts from the change before that and you'll get immediate changes, but it really will be three generations before you see that full profound impact from that genetic change that you've made. Any genetic change is, is a long-term process. When you think about it, 10 years in the context of your farming career, it becomes even more important. On average, the window where you have control of the bank account and the major decisions being made on the farm is about 30 years. Outside of that window, you're either being, you're either taking over from someone or someone is taking over for you. And that's a, obviously a, a generalised number, but roughly about right. That means if it takes 10 years for genetic change to fully occur while you're performing that change, one third of your whole farming career will, will slip by in, the, in that time. This really highlights why it is important to make good decisions because the decisions you make take 10 years to have their full impact and in that time you've got a third of your farming career uh, will have passed by. 
So making good good decisions around genetics is really, really important. And something that I'm really passionate about is is helping people to do that. And that's what we do at Next Gen Agri. And the more people we, we can help, the happier we are because there's just an enormous opportunity for around genetics. And what we have seen is the people that we get to work with, we get to see the, the actual change happen in real time and it's and it's super exciting. And what I see is a fair bit of hope being employed. So we're going to talk about hope and we're going to break this into three different sessions. Over the three sessions, we're going to cover three different hopes. And the first one being, I hope that someone will want to buy the stuff that I'm supplying in 10 years time. So this is a consumer facing commentary and one that will hopefully encourage you to have a look, good hard look at what you're currently producing and how you're producing it. And to think about where that's going to align with the expectations of the consumer of 2030. So we're going to talk a lot about quality and that's the session we're going to talk about today. It's obviously a little bit difficult to predict what's going to happen, but it's something we need to be seriously thinking about uh, from now. The second session we're going to cover, and that'll be the next podcast that we that we produce, is I hope that I will be able to farm the same way that I do now in 10 years' time. I hope that all the things I do currently will still be available to me in 10 years' time. This is a look into your social license to operate and also looking into some of the chemical resistance we're starting to see. And then the final, the third podcast in this series is that I hope that I've selected the right animals. This is, I guess, a more classical commentary that you'd expect from, from someone who likes genetics like I do. I hope that I've selected the best rams to come into the flock. I hope that I've selected the best replacement females that I can possibly get to replace into the flock. A discussion around what data I've got to make those decisions. What tools have I got to, at my disposal to make that the best decision I can? To move from I hope to I know that I'm on the right track. That will be the third podcast that that you hear from us. So the topic for today is the first big hope. I hope that someone is going to be there to buy my products in 10 years time. So what I think you should do is to have a, have a think about all of the things you're reading in the papers, seeing on social media or seeing on television. Although it's a, it's a different time uh, in the sort of post-COVID-19 era, things, some of those trends that were happening before that will, will return once the world settles into the new normal. We don't have a crystal ball, but I want you to give a good hard, good hard think about what you think 10 years looks like and think about the trends that you've seen in the last 10 years and which way they're going to go. What will wealthy consumers want to eat and wear in 10 years' time? What do you think is happening to our consumer set? Your products essentially only make you serious money if you're absolutely on song with what high-end consumers want to do and wear and eat. And so it is really worth having a think about. Who is, who is that person that, that you think will be wearing or, or consuming your product? Where are they? What are they thinking? What's going to be important to them? This is where quality becomes paramount. The consumer is king, and in the eye of the consumer, quality is king. It's worth clarifying who is ultimately buying your products. The land buyer at the sale yards or the wool buyer on the auction floor isn't who you should be thinking about. Often we think that's as far as we can see down the, down the supply chain, down the value chain. But you need to be thinking much deeper than that. Raise a sharp focus on the person who's actually going to eat or wear your products is, is where I think we need to be. Ultimately, a focus on the premium consumer in an affluent market somewhere and their habits, wants and desires will lead us to prosperity. We need obviously to be thinking about the premium products, not about commodity products, and learn what it is about your products that is desired by those affluent consumers. We need an absolute razor sharp focus on these people. So if we don't take the time to get our genetics and our production systems sorted out, then we're always going to lag behind consumer expectations. We can only ever expect to get commodity price and never get a premium price if we're always catching up. So it can't be about waiting for them, whoever they are, to give us a price signal. But we have to lead. Each and every one of us has the opportunity to lead, to build from a base of quality. And I don't think we can ever get away from that. As I've already said, I've had a long, hard think about this area and have it 
I've definitely at times been convinced that we should just produce for what we currently get paid for. But I now definitely believe that isn't the best course of action and I believe that change only happens when people make it happen and we need to be those people. We can't expect they, whoever that is, the industry organisation or the, or the meat buyers or the wool buyers to lead. We have to, we have to lead and then tell our story and we'll find people in those affluent markets that align with us and we can, and we can move towards them. When you go through all this, you may you may land on a different decision than what I have, and that's okay. I'd love for you to provide your point of view on, on our Facebook group or email through to me. We None of us obviously know the future, and we can all are only guessing, and I'd really love to start that conversation. Ultimately, if we keep consumers seriously happy, then we, we can expect not only that people will want to buy our products in 10 years' time, but they'll be willing to pay a premium for it. If we do the opposite and we just produce a bulk commodity because that's what we get paid for, then we're probably going to get the same that, we, that we've always got. If we expect something different from doing the same thing, that is, as Einstein explained, is, is the definition of insanity. So think about those consumers, think quality. So if we start with meat, the obvious two things that we have available to us right now are intramuscular fat, IMF, or marbling, and shear force, or, or toughness. And, and definitely fantastic, the industry has really got on board over the last couple of decades, and a heap of science has gone into those traits and we now have breeding bees that we can use to select for both those traits and and we've seen that some of the ways our industry was going were, were making our product less and less desirable by consumers as we were breeding on so great that we've done that science and we now have some tools available to us to, to change the direction the good thing is we've also linked those traits directly to consumer experience the things that we like about lamb are often these attributes imf and and share force. Our consumers in high-end markets are exactly the same as us. When they turn up and pay good coin for a piece of lamb, they want a fantastic eating experience. And it's our job to not to not to follow the industry, but to lead that, to have a, a, a movement towards those premium products. We have no interest in getting into trans-Tasman arguments, uh, but that's maybe that's inevitable considering we work across both great countries, uh, New Zealand and Australia, and, and more broadly. But I think IMF is a critical issue in New Zealand. The average marbling in lamb in New Zealand is much lower than it needs to be. I think it's a result of three different things. A, the, the lambs tend to be killed at younger ages and at lighter carcass weights. So that's obvious. Uh, IMF is higher in older animals and, and heavier carcass weights. The second is the market here is it tends to be focused on, on the processor. So the abattoir or the works is, is where we think a lot of value gets transferred. So they, there's a they're essentially buying based predominantly on efficiency, so they make money by turning live animals into product in the most efficient way possible. And so what's key for them is lean meat yield, and we hear a lot about that uh, over here and in Australia. But the carcasses that, that they can predict will yield a lot of lean meat is with minimal effort, with minimum trim, and maximum yield out of the boning room is, is what they're chasing and and are applying a, a premium for that. And that is having a damaging impact on on eating quality. The third factor, and I think it's related, is is the much higher proportion of textile genetics in, in New Zealand than, than Australia, and a, yeah, so a different genetic set as well. So there's three different things, but um, definitely lower IMF here in New Zealand. Both sides of the ditch, we need to focus on the IMF, uh, but in New Zealand, I think it's, it's definitely mission critical. When it comes to maternal sheep, if I wanted to select an animal to be the most useless animal on the planet in terms of both its consumer acceptance and its farmability, I'd be selecting for, for lean meat yield. I don't think there's any better trait that reduces lamb survival, reduces farmability uh, in, ma in maternal sheep and, and reduces the consumer experience than, than lean meat yield. 
obviously in a terminal selection program where you're buying those terminals or breeding those terminals, there's a lean meat yield becomes a little bit important because those animals are essentially just producing terminal lambs and so the the farmability of the of the ewe itself is not not as important. Again, I'd only be selecting for lean meat yield as long as concurrent selection for eating quality occurred at the same time within those terminal sheep. But definitely in maternal sheep, avoid it like the plague. Essentially, we've focused on lean meat yield in our, in our terminals on both sides of the ditch, and this has come at a cost of eating quality and something that we need to, and are rectifying. When we talk wool, again, we need to really get focused on the quality attributes that actually matter. We need really to get serious about who is the ultimately consuming the product and who it is that gets to decide what quality is. If I ask myself or many of you what quality looks like, we'll talk about crimp and how bright and white it is and, and how to find that crimp is. And depending on who you are, you'll like finer crimping or bolder crimping. And we'll talk a whole heap about the things that we have defined as quality, as in us sheep breeders. A consumer defines quality by something they can wear next to the skin that doesn't itch, that's durable, will last a long time, uh, not just the first few wears, will retain its colour and its functionality for a long time. They'll define quality by how the garment makes them look and feel. The functional properties are their considerations of quality in the, in the eyes of consumers. They want to look good, they want to feel comfortable when they're out for a jog or out for a walk or they might be just dressing like they're out for a jog or out for a walk. But it's important, that's, that's their definition of quality, not, not how what the crimp looks like. So it's important that we consider what the real measures of quality are and they're in the eyes of consumers, not necessarily what ours. And we've, we know that we need certain attributes in wool to make sure it's waterproof and therefore doesn't get fleece rot and a few other things like that. But we need to be careful about what we are assuming is quality and what we're giving away to try and get quality. There are obviously things like staple strength that become important because for a range of reasons it allows for a strong yarn to be spun and, and, and it to be spun quite quickly. It allows a finer yarn to be spun and, and ultimately it allows a whole heap of efficiency in the, in the processing of the garment and less pilling in a whole heap of things when, it, when that, when that fibre eventually ends up with a consumer. That ultimately results in a happier consumers because the garment's less likely to pill more likely to retain its integrity and stay looking good for longer. So traits like staple strength, A, get rewarded for in the market, but B, also add quality right through to that to that final wearer. Micron and coefficient of variation of micron are obviously important and, and have been massive focus for the wool industry over over many years. Micron or fibre is is definitely a trait that's, that's optimised for a particular market rather than always being minimised or... So just going finer and finer doesn't necessarily get rewarded unless you're right down the pointy end, which is, which is quite fine these days, into your 12s and 11 microns. We need to think about in 10 years' time, who will be consuming wool? What products will it be predominantly in? And therefore, what is the micron category that you think is likely to be most sought after? Think about Icebreaker, the brand that started the active outdoor market and, and basically redefined wool or, or merino wool particularly. They take a mainly an 18.9 micron wool, plus or minus a micron, and, and a lot of the other active outdoor brands do the same. They predominantly want 18.9 micron wool, and that's for a good reason. 18.9 microns is a sweet spot of where you get a great wearing experience because there are very few fibres over 30 micron, which is the microns that cause you uh, prickle or itch. Yet it's still durable enough to wear over and over again under, some, under the challenging conditions that we often wear it in. So you can wear it hiking, you can wear it golfing, you can wear it sailing, and it provides great comfort and it looks good. I've worn Icebreaker for seven and a half years and it handles life use unbelievably well and other merino products as well. And so I'm a very happy consumer and there are very few days in the year that I wouldn't be wearing some merino wool somewhere on my body and it's, and it's 
fantastic. So I'm happy to go back and buy, and that's the kind of experience we want to keep keep people having. There are obviously different markets where different micron brackets are rewarded, and you need to have a good look at what type of wool you want to produce. There's a great market for 21 to 23 micron wool in the sock market and, and into uniform, school uniform market and a whole heap of things. So, it, And there's also another great market for, for Italian spinners type wool uh, into a whole heap of quality quality aspects. Obviously, the market right now, post-COVID-19, is 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 struggling a bit. But when the world recovers and, and gets back onto the new normal, uh, those those trends will will be back on song and we'll see see those those supplies being being rewarded so it doesn't really matter what consumer set you decide to focus on the important thing is that you actually think about it properly and and think about who you're you're producing for so summing up today's episode really important that we think about our consumers have a good hard think about who that family is who that individual is in that market whether it's a local market or an overseas market that that absolutely values your products and values your product in 10 years time think about your management systems your genetic program what in there are, are the traits that you think will be increasingly in demand and what are the what are the processes you're doing now that uh, that you think might not be available to you and that's in our next podcast coming to you next week we're going to cover one of those attributes and that is the the management things we do on farm now how many of them we think we'll still have available to us we'd love to hear your feedback this is our first ever podcast been been a lot of fun getting this this organized a lot of uh, learning going on about how we put together these things we're currently compiling a list of, of great people we're going to interview and and bring them to your device um, we'd love to hear some examples of people you'd like to hear from we're happy to give anyone a call and, and interview them and ask them what they're up to particularly if they're in that space of livestock production in genetics or in technology the three things that really get us out of bed in the morning and and the things that we love that's it for me. This has been the Head Shepherd Podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Look forward to catching up on the next episode.